podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Stratocast. My name is Dale O'Donnell and today I'm delighted to bring you an exclusive interview with Luke Chadwick. Chadwick broke into the Manchester United first team after the treble winning season. He's played for a, an array of clubs, went out on loan from Manchester United to Royal Antwerp. And we speak a bit about that, being a young lad and having to move out of his home country and living in, in Belgium. And, you know, we, we kind of... Someone that is in the in the transfer headlines a lot at the moment, Jadon Sancho, his move from Man City to to Germany, Borussia Dortmund, was a risk and a risk that worked worked out. And I think you'll hear from my conversation with Luke Chadwick that he he really enjoyed his time at Royal Antwerp and the second season that he 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 went back there, they were after being promoted. So he was playing teams like Anderlecht, and you know. The, he talks a bit about the atmosphere and how that was a wake up call for him being a young footballer and. Undoubtedly, it helped him as his career went on. He played down the leagues in England. Um, he was Player of the Year at MK Dons for two consecutive seasons. Played under Tony Pulis at Stoke, and at Stoke he was also a teammate of a player that he came through with at United in in Danny Higginbottom. So I really enjoyed this interview. It's it's just over twenty minutes long. I hope you enjoy it too, and I also hope this is kind of the start of what we can bring you on the cast in terms of good guests, some insight into the Manchester United dressing room. And he speaks a bit about key figures such as Roy Keane, David Beckham, Gary Neville, and, and what they were like in the dressing room too and the standards in which they set for, for Manchester United's most successful period, really. They were all part of that. So that's it, really. That's my introduction, a short one. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Put your feet up and have a cup of tea. We'll be back on Thursday with another episode with Mike. Delighted to be joined by former Manchester United midfielder Luke Chadwick. Luke, how are you? Yeah, very well, thank you. Look, we do we do this podcast um, about two a week and we don't always get the guests we want on, but it's an absolute pleasure to have someone like yourself that, of course, won a league title with United. Oh, thanks very much. It's, um, it's nice to speak to you. It's always nice to have a chat about Man United as well. Just before you, you joined the, the U team, how did you know come knocking? You joined the U team in 1997, I believe. Yeah, so I signed for Man United as an under-14 player. I was um, got scouted playing for Cambridge Schools team at the time and came up for a, a week's trial and got asked to sign schoolboy forms after that. So the second I went into Man United and went up for that week's trial, I, I fell in love with it, of the environment that was there, how welcome I was made feel. So I was delighted to get offered a two-year scholarship at the age of 16 when I left school to to move up there permanently. It must be like Disneyland, really. You know, Manchester United come knocking your door at that age. And then, of course, you were in the U team for some years before you broke into the first team. What was that like? Did, did the young players when you were there, did you have responsibilities, cleaning boots or that kind of graft? Yeah, yeah. I think I was in charge of um, 
Gary Pallister's boots at the time. I went. I got told off a few times. I weren't <laughs> great at keeping them clean. I also we all had jobs to do. I think my job with another lad was to to clean the first team dressing room. So we had to make sure that was um, spotless every afternoon before we went home from our training session. So it was um, loads of loads of bits and bobs that you had to do extra. Then I don't think you have to do quite as much these days. But it was um, it was certainly hard graft, even at a big club like Man United. <laughs> Tell me if the dressing room wasn't up to scratch, would someone come in checking? Would the manager come in checking and, and give you a rollicking if, if it wasn't up to standard? So usually it'd be the youth team coach who'd come down and check all the jobs. And if they thought everything was all right, we was allowed to go home. But occasionally the the manager, Sir Alex, would come down and check. And if um, if anything weren't right, then we'd, we'd get an absolute telling off and half and we'd be there for about another two hours making sure everything was shiny and good enough for us to be allowed to go home. You know, I, I look I look at young players today and I don't think at Manchester United they're doing those kind of jobs, chores and stuff, but I think it, although at the time you you probably didn't like it and most of the, the guys you were doing it with hated it, but I think it's really important um, to give you kind of lessons in life and, and respect for, for the older people at the club, the manager and stuff and do you think that the the game kind of needs something like that now and it's missing that kind of aspect of, of maturing these young guys, whereas I think a lot of them are kind of wrapped in cotton wool nowadays? Yeah, I think obviously a lot of that side has, has changed. I think there was, there's a certain amount that they should still be doing. I think the beauty of the cleaning the boots is that interaction that you get with, yeah. a, with a first team player, which is priceless really, even if it was... Gary Pallister having a bit of a pop at me for not making sure his boots were shiny, but <laughs> even having that opportunity to to speak to the first team players, which they can seem so far away, but this sort of it makes it so much more personable to be able to do it and clean their boots and have a conversation. They give you a tip at Christmas, like it's just an opportunity to to be around the first team a lot more. You broke into the first team shortly after the treble. Tell us about the training sessions and the standard and standard set after such a feat. Oh, I think, to be fair, like the training before, even before the treble, the squad that was coming together, the, the standards were unbelievably high, both in terms of how hard you was expected to work in the training sessions, plus the quality, the technical ability that you needed to just survive in them. So. By the time I come back from Malone in Belgium, I was in the first team squad and it was it blew my mind the first couple of sessions. It was just a case of trying to get up to speed and trying to survive in the session, really. It was um, incredible times, but obviously quite scary as well for a young player to to be thrown into that environment. And it is sort of sink or swim time. And it, to play with them players, you can't ask for better players to learn off. They were the best players in some of the best players in the world at the time and definitely some best players in the Premier League. Just before we focus on your time at United, you mentioned briefly there your, your two loan spells at Royal Antwerp in Belgium. And you were you were a really young lad here. I think you were 18 or 19. And, of course, you came from Cambridge, moved up to Manchester fairly young as well. But this was a, this was a bigger step. This was going from the UK to, to Belgium. How did that help shape your career and, I suppose, help you mature that you were away from home, away from your familiar surroundings and in a totally different country? Yeah, I absolutely loved my time in Antwerp. I think when the club told me that I was going out there, I, I jumped at the chance and couldn't wait to go out there. Like you say, for a young... I went out there, there was two lads already there that were friends of mine in the youth team that I joined up with out there and it was just 
such an incredible life experience in terms of being on your own in a foreign country in a lifestyle situation but also to play football is the first time I'd ever played in first team games regularly in front of a crowd and the atmosphere was electric it was all didn't, the, didn't they get promoted um the second time you went back there so the, yeah the first time I went out there we got promoted then when I went back out we were in the like the top yeah. league but the atmosphere the it was all like firecrackers, all the smoke bombs going mm-hmm. off. It was incredible for a, for a young lad to be part of that. And it was something that, I'll, that was so memorable that I'll never forget all my life, really. You made your Manchester United debut at Villa Park, a 3-0 defeat in the, in the Cup. Um, what did Ferguson say to you when you were making your first debut? So it was it, that, was, that was before I went to Belgium. That was um, a Worthington Cup game. There was a lot of the young players around the youth team that were thrown into them mm. sort of games. So I remember, obviously, it was a real young team playing against a real strong Villa team. And like you say, we lost 3-0. But see, it, it, you just felt like on cloud nine because you'd made that debut. You'd done what you dreamed to do all them years and then to finally play in the game. I know, I remember the, the manager weren't obviously happy and he made it clear that we'd not, that's not acceptable to be beaten 3 0 by Aston Villa. But at the same time, I think a lot of us young lads that had played their first game were so delighted to have done it. So you played for Man United, it was a dream come true. You went on to make 16 appearances the year we won the league in 2000 and 2001. Tell us about that season and, being, and obviously being part of a Premier League winning t- side because. It's something I've seen pop up quite a bit on Twitter. You were joking about it yourself that you've a league medal and Stephen Gerrard hasn't. Um, that's something I'm sure you can't wait to tell the grandkids. Yeah, it's certainly something that I'll um, look forward to telling the grand. I think at the time as such a, a young player, perhaps you don't appreciate it as much. But yeah. it's to, to when I moved up to Man United as a 16-year-old, it was an incredible opportunity. But you saw the players ahead of you. I thought it was always going to be tough to get in the team and play in the first team. So to have done that was a was a dream come true, really. I remember at the end of the season, I'd obviously not played a huge amount of games, but I was exhausted both mentally and physically from the all the training sessions and what it meant to be a Man United player. Every day was so intense. Every player wants to win every little five-a-side game, every possession game. And I remember thinking how exhausted I was, but... What an incredible time I'd had to be part of that squad. It was um, amazing to have got enough appearances to get a medal and obviously something that I'll have for the rest of my life now. It's probably something you get asked in every single interview is probably about Roy Keane because I think everybody that's played with Roy Keane has asked specific questions about what he was like. He, in my view, set standards at Manchester United. He didn't make friends with everyone, but he set standards and that's why Manchester United were very successful while he was there. What was he like with you when you were coming through? Was he helpful? Oh, he was in, He was the ultimate captain. Obviously, Sir Alex was the, the manager of the team and was our leader. But in the dressing room around there, when it was on the training pitch, Roy King was the captain and he led everything and expected everyone to follow his lead and yeah. put in the sort of effort that was required to stay at the top for so many years. I remember the first few training sessions, it was... Um, I'd come from Belgium. I never really trained with a first team, and I thought, flipping heck, this ain't going to be easy. It'd, it'd be on you. It'd make sure that you were working as hard as you can, and if you made mistakes, it'd let you know. But at the same time, that's what was required, really. I remember joking with a couple of the young lads sometimes about 
when we went into the small-sided games, we'd used to hope we weren't on Roy's team because, you know, if you lost, you'd be in trouble afterwards. But off the pitch, he was an amazing... Like, he looked after the young lads. He'd done so much in terms of making sure we felt comfortable in the surroundings. He A couple of times, he'd pick me up from the flat where I lived because I couldn't drive at the time and go out his way to make sure that I could get to training and games. So he was a hard taskmaster on the training pitch and the pitch. And if you weren't up to stand, he'd let you know. Yeah. And off the pitch, he was, it was another side to him where he would make sure that everyone was comfortable and everyone was pulling in the same direction. Yeah, no, that, that, that's, that's a nice account on Keane. Um, other players, of course, the players you came with, came through with, Paul Scholes, you would have been the same team with Ryan Giggs and that. And I suppose later on in their careers, they kind of became figureheads of Manchester United and kind of, I suppose, greater icons for younger players to go up to. But that wasn't exactly the case when you were there because they were young themselves. What were they like in the dressing room? Were they the most focal ones at, the, at that young age as well? Yeah, I think there was different players were different. I think the, the them lads that you talk about, Ryan Giggs, Paul Scholes, Nicky Butt, were the sort of come through a few years before me but it was seeing them come through that I think gave all us other younger lads a belief that if we done well enough there would be opportunities there I think Gary Neville was another real vocal person in the dressing room who'd sort of give a lot of instructions and that sort of thing Ryan Giggs obviously was such an incredible player Mm. playing in the same position me I'd always look up to listen to the sort of things that he'd say but Paul Scholes was quite a quiet character but on the training pitch most days was the best player by a mile because he was just a genius on the football pitch. Nicky Butt was another quite vocal character. So I think different players sort of were comfortable in their own sort of personality and how they wanted to be. I'd say Roy Keane, Gary Neville were two of the more vocal players who really drove standards a lot in terms of their communication. But there'd be players like Paul Scholes who drive standards every day because he was an exceptional footballer every day. It's really interesting the point you just made about your situation and being a young player and kind of being encouraged by what you were seeing in front of you with these players getting chances in the first team because it's something I've mentioned on the blog um, not too long about, about Solskjaer and this season we've seen Mason Greenwood, Brandon Williams, you know there's been opportunities there for Tahit Chong and other players so the young, the young players in the academy they're obviously thinking the same thing that we work hard and the opportunities will come and I think under previous managers of Manchester United, after Ferguson, young players were getting chances more so when there was injuries in the first team and they were being kind of thrown into the deep end. Whereas I think with Solskjaer, it looks like there's a plan in place and there's a plan to let these players progress. Yeah, I think that is that's the key, really. I think as young players, if you see if you've got role models that have come through the academy and gone into the first team, it gives you so much more belief that there is a pathway there for you. I know a lot of clubs sort of spend a load of money and you don't see many players coming out of the youth team into the first team. But I think Manchester United, particularly under Sir Alex and years before that, maybe they came away from it a bit when the new managers come in. But obviously, Oli would have taken a huge amount from Sir Alex and you can see that, that pathway again. And it makes the academy so much stronger because the players have got belief. So they push themselves maybe that little bit more that there is an opportunity there for them at the end of the day. You came back to Manchester United and played at Old Trafford with Cambridge later on in your career. Compare that to what it was like as a youngster stepping out in Old Trafford for the first time because I suppose uh, maybe you were kind of, maybe you appreciate it more when you came back when you were older, just the size of the stadium and stepping on the pitch and maybe when you were a youngster, you might have took it maybe for granted. 
Yeah, I think you're, you're probably right a little bit there. Don't get me wrong. So even as a young player, to, I remember making my debut coming on as sub mm. in the Premier League against Middlesbrough and I played for about two minutes at the end of the game and then had a permanent grin on my face for about the next two weeks because I'd finally I'd come on the pitch in a Premier League game, which was incredible. I think I appreciated it a lot more. It's the first time I'd ever been back to Old Trafford to play a game with Cambridge a few years back and obviously you've you know your career's coming to an end and you want to appreciate every second of being on that great stage. I think as a young player, you sort of come through the system and you you just feel part of Manchester United. When you come back with another club, you do realise the whole size and magnitude of the place and what an incredible what an incredible stadium and club that it is. Alex Ferguson obviously was your manager in the early days. You played on some other good managers too, like Tony Pulis. Who, other than Ferguson, would stand out to you as being a, a massive, massive manager in your career? I think, obviously, Sir Alex was the best, without mm. a shadow of a doubt. He was a genius, a man. You spoke about Tony Pulis there. He probably had similar qualities to Sir Alex in terms of he was an incredible man first before yeah. football coach. And I think that's always something that I look at and most people looking is at them human qualities of a person that sort of make you want to work a little bit harder and do a little bit extra for them. So I was fortunate in my career to play for some fantastic people first and then managers. Stan Turnant, who was a big friend of Sir Alex, I played under him, who again had incredible human qualities. Tony Pulis, Alan Pardew, Paul Ince, who obviously played under Sir Alex for a spell, who I played under at MK Dons, and you could see he'd learnt a lot from him. So there was a lot a brilliant people and football manager played under, but I think Sir Alex was just an incredible person and that's what the success was built built from. Do you think, from watching Manchester United now, that Solskjaer has taken a lot of um, pages from Fergie's book? Yeah, definitely. I think, obviously, the manager would have been Ollie's biggest influence. He was at the club for so long as a player and has spent so much time with him and I'm sure he's using them lessons probably... Obviously, a different person, but using a lot of the lessons that he's learnt from Sir Alex to put into his now job to manage the biggest club in the world. So it's a it's a tough task, but I do truly believe that Ollie will have the backing of the fans as he will because he's such a legend at the club. Yeah, if he can use them lessons that he's learnt, he can be someone that makes Manchester United great again. I seen something online reading through and I, I kind of scratched my head when I seen it it didn't make much sense to me but you were someone that played with, with David Beckham and, and but this this particular post they were trying to compare Beckham to, to Paul Pogba and, and, and the I suppose distractions off the pitch the one thing you have to say about David Beckham was it never it never affected his performances um I, I personally think he was a player that when you, you look back at, at that United team now there's a lot of people on social media kind of going on these crazy takes and, and underestimating how good these players were. You have people saying that Ryan Giggs was overrated, that Paul Scholes was overrated. But how, how good was Beckham? Well, yeah, I've started mentioning now, I don't really think any of them can really be seen as overrated with what they achieved yeah. in their careers. I think, like you say, people comparing David Beckham to Pogba, obviously I didn't spend a huge amount of time with David Beckham's two seasons maybe, but for that for the two seasons that I was part of the squad, he was always the hardest working player in terms of his physical physical output. Every day he'd work his socks off. There was never any change that I ever saw with, obviously, the big star he was becoming off the pitch ever affected him at all 
on the pitch whatsoever. In all the running sessions that we do in pre-season, he was the fittest player. And along with that, the amount of extra practice that he'd do when the session had finished in terms of his the amount of times, he'd, the repetition of crossing the ball, the corners, the free kicks, he'd practice as more than anyone probably. So I can't, I never could say in a million years that any of the stuff off the pitch affected affected him on the pitch or around the training ground. It's probably is something too that was kind of bedded into that team. You mentioned the kind of the standards that Roy Keane set on the pitch and then Ferguson set off the pitch. You know, there probably wasn't room for someone to kind of allow to be distracted off the pitch, you know, because if, if they were, they would have been, they would have been dealt with or would have been sold. Yeah, I felt you're completely right. I think, I think while the time I was there, like I've mentioned, the training sessions were so intense, yeah. the quality was so high that, yeah, you had to be on it every day and you had to, it doesn't really matter who you are, you've got to be fully focused on your football to maintain them standards and stay at a club like Manchester United for a sustained period of time. The addressing one, which we keep going back to, and the amount of figures that were in that, the Keens, the Nicky Butts, Gary Nevilles, and so on, and a lot of these players, as we said, went on to become really iconic figures at Manchester United. Were there any any funny moments, any anecdotes from from your time in the dressing room at United? Um, there was a few... There, there, there was, maybe one you're allowed to mention. I speak to one about me. I speak to one about I was supposedly... We went and we had a Christmas party planned, and I weren't meant to be going because we had a reserve team a few da- a reserve team game a few days later. But I ended up going. I drove the lads there. I weren't drinking or anything, but there was. It ended up just my luck. It all sort of kicked off. There was some trouble that night, and it ended up being in all the papers. We found out that I was there. The manager was probably the least of his worries at the moment, but he just saw me walking down the corridor, and he, he just starts sort of shouted at me, that's huge, Ryan, two weeks' wages, I told you not to go out. And it was obviously over the Christmas period, so at the training ground every Christmas, the staff would serve the players their food. It was sort of a little bit of fun that we had every Christmas, so the manager was serving out the food, and he sort of had a bowl of soup in his hand, and he saw me and slammed it down on the table. He said, that's the the most expensive bowl of soup you'll ever eat. So it cost me a couple of weeks' wages, but... um, and there was a, there's obviously a few things that the, the, funny moments like in any dress room with, over the years, but you um, I try and keep as much as I can in to myself. I don't oh, like to course. speak about others too much. Of course, of course. Um, Luke, it was an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Really, really enjoyed the conversation. And look, we we don't get access to to Manchester United players like I suppose the fanzines would have in, in the in the late eighties and the early nineties. The access is, is much more difficult nowadays, and I think maybe there's good reasons for that too. So we we take the opportunity to speak to foreign players when we can. That can be difficult too, but again, a pleasure to speak to you. And I was amazed how easy it was just to reach out to you too. You were more than happy to to accept the, the request to come on the podcast, and that was really appreciated. No worries, Dan. It was nice talking to you. Brilliant. Thanks so much. Sports Social Podcast Network.